Episode 73, Rahab. Welcome to the History of the Bible. In the last episode, we talked all about Joshua assuming the role of leadership over the Israelites. This would be approved by the Lord as well as the people themselves. Now that Joshua was the leader of the Israelites, it was time to do the mission that he was given by both Moses and the Lord, lead the Israelites into the Promised Land. Before moving over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, the Israelites had been camping in the plains of Moab, or specifically, the city of Shittim. They have been here for a while, ever since they conquered the two Amorite kings on the east side of the Jordan River. Some sources believe that they stayed in the plains of Moab for almost a year, all on the east side of the Jordan River. During their time there, the Midianite women seduced the Israelites by following cultic practices. They battled against the Midianites, wrote the law and the commandments down, then the death of Moses, mourning Moses' death, and then the assumption of leadership by Joshua. With the Israelites ready to move, Joshua would send two spies over into the Promised Land, not to search the whole land of Canaan, but rather one specific goal of spying out the city of Jericho. Jericho was believed to be 12 miles west of where the Israelites were, not too far of a trip for the Israelites. But before we jump into the city of Jericho itself, we're going to talk about the events of the spies first. From Shittim, the two spies would cross the Jordan Valley, and we will talk more about the location of the crossing later. It says in verse 1 of chapter 2 that Joshua said to the two spies, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Jewish tradition holds that the two spies that were sent by Joshua were Caleb and Phinehas. We've already encountered Caleb, as he was one of the twelve spies that went up into Canaan all those years ago. It was he and Josh who believed that they could take the promised land. The other man, Phinehas, whom we have also met, is the son of Eleazar, the grandson of Aaron. This was the man who drove a spear into the son of an Israelite chieftain and the daughter of a Midianite chieftain killing them both while they were engaged in sexual cult practices. Both of these were trustworthy men who fully trusted the Lord, because Joshua probably did not want what happened last time when the spies were sent into the promised land. So Caleb and Phinehas did go to the land, especially Jericho. In the latter half of the verse 1, it says that they came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. Now, when we hear that these two men came to the house of a prostitute and stayed there, we can only imagine that the only way to blend in best and not be noticed is by staying at the whorehouse. Isn't that what most travelers would do on the road for long periods, and when they got to the city, they just wanted a warm meal, a warm bed, and good company for the night. But if we were to go off the Jewish tradition that these two spies were Caleb and Phinehas, they would both be men of high character. 
Otherwise, Joshua wouldn't have sent them into the promised land to spy it out. This would then bring up the question, who is Rahab? Yes, the Bible does say that she is a prostitute, but was she? When Rahab first heard about the Israelites leaving Egypt and journeying through the promised land, she did her best to stay up to date with everything that was happening with the Israelites. So when the two spies came to her front door, she knew exactly who they were because she had been following for the last 40 years. Now, whether or not she had been following them since she was 10 isn't known. That's only based on Jewish tradition. But it does say in Joshua 2, verse 10, that Rahab was aware of all the things that the Lord did for the Israelites, the drying up the Red Sea, the coming out of Egypt, the battles that they fought destroying the two powerful Amorite kings east of the Jordan Valley. She also recognized that the Lord had given the land to the Israelites and that fear had fallen on all the people in the land. There is one other thing that we should address before we move on to how Rahab assisted the two spies. In Joshua 2 verse 1, it says that the two spies came to Jericho and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Simply reading the passage, the two spies went to Jericho and to blend in, they went to the house of a prostitute. This would simply mean that Rahab was that prostitute. Jewish historians hold two thoughts. The first thought is that Rahab was simply what she was, a prostitute who sold her body at her home for the service of others. However, without giving away too much information, Jewish historians believe that she was redeemed from her past and would come to live among the Israelites, marry Joshua, and become an ancestor to the eight prophets and priests, one who would include Jeremiah. Although even this is hard for many Jewish historians because they do not like the idea of their priests and prophets being the descendant, especially famous ones like Jeremiah, being born in the line of a prostitute. Although we do know that Rahab would not become the wife of Joshua, that would only be Jewish tradition. In Matthew 1 verse 5, it says that Rahab would give birth to Boaz, and Boaz's father would be Solomon. Eventually, Boaz would become the lineage in which King David would come. However, that is getting ahead of ourselves. It is possible that this is another Rahab. But most scholars believe that the Rahab from Jericho and the one who bore Boaz are the same woman. Which brings up the question, who is the Solomon guy that she marries? This is another man who is believed who may have been one of the spies that were sent into Jericho to spy it out. Unfortunately, we don't know who the spies were. The second tradition is that Rahab was not a prostitute at all. Yes, even though it does say she was a prostitute in Joshua 2 verse 1, the reason that some believe that she was not a prostitute is because of the words that were used to describe her. But if she wasn't a prostitute, 
what could she have been? Historians believe that she was an innkeeper. Again, they believe it was a mistranslation of the one word that could mean prostitute or innkeeper. The word for innkeeper is based on the Aramaic word used to describe Rahab. In the Hebrew translation, Rahab was a zona, which means prostitute. But in the Aramaic rendering of the word, it means pandiketa. However, even in the passages that are written in Aramaic, they still have the word zona next to them. This means that Rahab is described in the passages written in Aramaic. It says that she is a zona and a pandiketa. This would imply that because both of the words are used together to describe Rahab, it would show the connection between the ends and prostitute, meaning that Rahab could have been both a prostitute and the innkeeper of the place that she ran prostitution out of. But this would explain why, if they were the spies sent into the land, Caleb and Finnis would go to the prostitute's house. She was running the inn in which travelers were able to stay, and if they chose to do so, travelers could pay a little extra money for company for the night. Now, there are other thoughts out there, begging the question, why did they go to Rahab's house? Did they just stumble upon her inn? Rahab would hear the stories and secrets of many men who came to her place. Yes, it was an inn, but that doesn't mean that just men from outside the city came to her place. Even the king of Jericho knew who Rahab was, as we'll find out later in Joshua. This means that Rahab had many connections within the city, from the lowliest to higher-ranking and powerful men in society. With those men came stories and secrets that Rahab would know. This is the perfect place for the two spies to make a visit for information and to not draw attention to themselves. Again, how did the spies know to come to Rahab's house? It could have been that the Lord led them there because she would give them the information that they were looking for, which is totally possible. Others have made the suggestion that the spies already knew about Rahab before they went into the city. Rahab's reputation was so great in all the land that they knew to go directly to her for information about Jericho. This is what some Jewish historians believe. Rahab was so good at what she did and so beautiful in figure that she was known in all of the lands, especially those in higher ranks of society. Either way, the Israelites get to the house of Rahab. She takes them in and hides them on the roof of her house, underneath the flax that was set up there to dry. When the king of Jericho found out that the two men had come to the city to spy it out, he sent guards directly to her house and to ask for the men. Again, this shows that the king himself was familiar with Rahab and familiar with foreigners coming to her house, possibly due to her reputation in the land. 
When the guards came to Rahab's house, they asked for her to bring out the men that were staying at the house, because they were the spies from the Israelites. Now, this brings up another thought. If it was a house of prostitution, and the guards were talking to Rahab, asking for the men to be brought out, it could be thought that they were sleeping with other prostitutes while the guards told Rahab to bring them out. Just a thought, though. Rahab would tell the guards that yes, the men did come, but she didn't know where they were and that they left before it got dark, before the gates were closed. Often, in ancient times, the city gates were closed in the evening time, and then in the morning, they were reopened up. So Rahab is telling the guards that the two men left the city before the gates were closed and got stuck in the city for the night. Although she says that she doesn't know where they went, she says that if they pursue them quickly, the king's guards could overtake them. Surprisingly, this is exactly what the guards did. They left the city and pursued the men as far as the fords. The fords would be one of the few points along the Jordan River that could actually be crossed. These fords were directly east of the city of Jericho and the king's guards were probably hoping to reach the spies at the fords before they were able to cross the Jordan River. However, the spies did not go out of the city walls. They were still hiding on the roof of Rahab's house under the flax. As a side note on flax, flax was often used to make linen after the flax fibers had been dried out. That's great and all, but because she was using flax, that tells us about the land around Jericho and what time of the year it was. The soil that is needed to grow flax is one that is richer with plenty of water supplied to it. Often, this would be lowlands, and because Jericho sat in a valley, this would be the exact growing conditions needed for the plant. The harvesting of the flax itself was often done from the spring equinox around the month of March until the month of April. So the spies were in the land around the time of spring. As mentioned, the spies were hidden on top of the roof of Rahab's house, and she explains to the spies why she has kept them safe. In Joshua 2 verses 9 through 11, she states her purpose. Rahab would go on to explain that because of the fear of the Israelites had fallen on the people of the land, they heard about the signs and wonders in the coming out of Egypt, and they knew what the Israelites had done to the two Amorite kings on the east side of the Jordan River. Because of this fear, Rahab wanted to take action rather than wait for death to come. Now, this is not an expression of her belief in the Israelites' God. Rather, all that Rahab is simply doing is recognizing that the Israelites' deity was stronger and was willing to fight for his people. All of the nations and the surrounding people groups had their own individual gods and goddesses. And often, when two groups went to war, it was thought that it was really a battle to see who had the more powerful deity. The Hittites, Assyrians, and the Babylonians all speak of divine warriors who fought and terrified their enemies. So when Rahab keeps the spies safe, 
Not only is she betraying her people, but she is also betraying her gods in hopes of the Israelites' God being more powerful than Jericho's God. But again, she more than likely has no idea what the Mosaic law is or who the Israelites' God is. In verse 12 through 13 of chapter 2, Rahab makes a covenant with the spies, stating that because she has protected them while they were in the city, she asked that she and her father's household be protected in the coming battle. The two spies agreed to this, as long as she did not tell them about their doings in the city to any of the people of the city of Jericho. So the deal was struck that Rahab would not say anything and the Israelites would not attack Rahab and her family. It's interesting that Rahab is negotiating for her and her family's life. Often during this period, this task would be the responsibility of the eldest male in the family, such as the father or grandfather. The spies would add one more condition because there were no pictures that would be given out to the Israelite army to not kill Rahab and her family, they told her that when the battle happens, they all needed to be inside Rahab's house. And if any of them went into the streets during the battle, it was their fault if they got killed. To help make the house of Rahab known to the Israelite army, she was required to tie a scarlet cord in the window so that in the coming battle, the Israelites would know not to enter the house with a scarlet cord hanging from the window. One thing to point out, the Lord told the Israelites to destroy all the people in the land of Canaan, men, women, and children. Yet the spies are making a covenant with a woman and her family to be kept alive in the coming battle. One, this shows that the spies had the full authority of Joshua to make agreements in his name. And two, this shows that the two spies knew the heart of their God and that they had the freedom to make this agreement with Rahab. Multiple times in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, it talks about the foreigners living among the Israelites, that if they accept the practices of Israel, they were to be treated and loved as if they were native Israelites. So if anyone within the land of Canaan wanted to give up their ways and practices of life and join and follow the Israelites, then they could do so and live. They would not be killed for wanting to come into the fold of the Israelites. The Lord did leave an opening for people within the land of Canaan to come to know him and live. At this point, the spies were instructed by Rahab to go into the hills so that the king's men would not encounter them. She suggested staying in the hills for three days. Then they would make their way back to the camp on the east side of the Jordan Valley. Because the king's men would have thought that the spies would head east to cross the Jordan River and get back to their camp, Rahab actually sends them west into the hill country. Some scholars believe that the measure of time, which was three days, that the spies were to hide was just a general period of time that lasted more than one or two days. That it wasn't supposed to be the instructions to stay exactly three days in the hill country. However, in other late Bronze Age documents, 
that were during the same time as the Israelites came into the land of Canaan. These documents have been found in the Hittites' empire, where the king instructed his commander to pursue the enemy for three days. So it could have been that the normal time to pursue an enemy was three days in ancient times. After that, the chase was given up. In this case, that would mean the three days Rahab suggested to the spies was actually three days. After these instructions were given to the spies, Rahab would lower the spies through the window of her house because her house was built into the city walls. We will go more into the house of Rahab and the walls that surrounded Jericho when we talk about the city itself. However, for the next episode, we will be looking at the Israelites crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land, the moment that they had been waiting for for so many years. So join us next time in episode 74, The Jordan River Crossing. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible. Let's get the word out by liking, rating, and following the show. This episode was produced by Nikeo Productions. To check out other shows, search for Nikeo Productions wherever you listen to podcasts.